So every year I get asked to speak at a men's retreat. And so we are men and we talk about manly stuff. So I couldn't think of a topic more manly than burning boats, ox, plows, and going the extra mile. So I wanted to talk about Vikings. Are you familiar with Vikings? You know, not the football team, but the great giant Nordsman. Now get this picture in your head. You are a town folk in one of these villages and these Thor-like men, huge warriors on these boats are coming towards the land. You've probably heard the stories of these warriors from people who fled their own towns and made it safely to yours thinking that they were going to be safe. So these guys, they hit the shore and instantly file out of their ships. You're watching in fear and waiting for them to storm up to your town, but they don't. They don't come right away. Instead, they all turn around and go back to their boats and light them on fire. They burn their boats. Why do you think they burn their boats? So they have no choice but to go forward. They fully committed when they got on that boat that they were going to win no matter what and they would rather die than go backwards. You need to develop that kind of intense desire to move forward that there's no option for you to go back. I have that intense desire. I never want to go back and stand in food lines or have cars repossessed or lose properties or lose businesses. I have a desire to never have to look in my wife's eyes knowing that I'm not doing my job as a provider for our family. I was given this great quote once by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Try to say that five times fast. His quote reads, until one is committed, there's hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there's only one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issue from that decision, rising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, and material assistance which no man could have dreamed would have come his way. Whatever you do or dream, you can. Begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. I don't know what your story is or what you need to let go of to move into the life God has planned for you, but hopefully today you can find that desire. In fact, in 1 Kings 19, we have the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah has been the greatest prophet in Israel, and God tells him to go anoint Elisha to take his place. When Elijah finds Elisha, he's plowing 12 acres and was just finishing up the last acre. Elijah comes and pulls off his coat and puts it on Elisha, signifying that he's going to take over the mantle and be the next great prophet. In verse 21, Elisha turned away from him and went back. He killed the ox that he used and the yoke for firewood. He boiled the meat, gave it to the people, and they all ate together. Then Elisha went and followed Elijah and became his helper. So I'm not sure if the Vikings picked this up from Elisha, but basically burn everything so you don't go back. God is calling you into something, but you are dragging your boat and your ox and your plow and wondering why it's so hard to step into your future. But Joel, I have multiple plans. That's great. Make sure all of your alternative plans are oriented on the future, not the past. 
Go create your future and leave that heavy past behind. I want to make sure you hear this right though. Burn your past, not your bridges. Some people will have to get left behind, but don't burn the bridges. You don't know when you could be the light that God uses to save them. If you burn that bridge, they may never see the light that God has created you to be. Setting your past on fire is less about setting it on fire than it is rising above it. Sure, you may have been hurt in the past, but why are you letting that hurt your present and your future? I mean, even Jesus had to deal with this. You know about the 12 inner circle disciples, but in Luke 7, 11, his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And again, in Luke 14, 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. So he had people coming around him all the time. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 9, verses 59 through 62. Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me go and bury my father first. But Jesus said to him, let the people who are dead bury their own dead. You must go and tell about God's kingdom. And another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow or looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus was specifically talking about leaving the past behind. Otherwise, you are not fit for serving in the kingdom of God. I mean, that's pretty harsh, right? The future will leave you behind if you don't move into it. You also need to stay focused on going forward despite what people are saying. Now, let's pick up later with Elisha in 2 Kings 2. Elijah knows that it's his last days, so he's going to where God has told him his chariot of fire awaits to pick him up. Cue the theme song. Technologically, I'm not that cool. So, Elijah is getting ready to head out and tells Elisha to stay behind. But Elisha's like, I will follow you to the end, dude. So he follows him to the next stop. The prophets in that town come out and tell Elisha, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. This happens at the next stop too. Elijah tells Elisha to stay behind and he doesn't listen. And then the prophets from that town come out and tell him, Hey man, God's taking him today, so I don't know why you're going with him. And Elisha replies, kind of like this, Shut up, fools. The last guy's told me the same thing. I'm sticking with this guy all the way to the end. So let's get all biblical and pick back up at verse 7. There are 50 men from the group of prophets who followed them. Elijah and Elisha stopped at the Jordan River. The 50 men stood off far away from Elijah and Elisha. In verse 8, Elijah took off his coat, folded it, and hit the water with it. The water separated to the right and to the left, and Elijah and Elisha crossed over the river to the dry ground. After they crossed the river, Elijah says to Elisha, What do you want me to do for you before God takes me away from you? And Elisha said, I ask for a double share of your spirit on me. Verse 10, Elijah says, You have asked for a hard thing. If you see me when I'm taken away from you, it will happen. But if you don't see me when I'm taken away from you, it will not happen. Verse 11, Elijah and Elijah were walking together and then suddenly some horses and a chariot came and separated Elijah from Elisha. The horses and the chariot were like fire. Then Elijah was carried up into heaven like a whirlwind. 
Elijah saw and shouted, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and his horses. Elisha never saw Elijah again. Elisha grabbed his own clothes and tore them in two to show his sadness. Verse 13, Elijah's coat had fallen on the ground, so Elijah picked it up. He went back and stood at the edge of the Jordan River. He hit the water and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Just as Elisha hit the water, the water separated to the right and to the left, and Elisha crossed the river. So all of this amazingness happens to Elijah because he was willing to burn his past and follow Elijah into his future. The interesting thing about this transition in the story is that he had conversations with multiple other prophets leading up to this. There were 50 of them that had the same opportunity, but none of them wanted to move forward. They were content staying where they were, you know, being the peanut gallery. If only they had gone that extra mile, they could have had the same double portion that Elisha got. Instead, look at what happens. We'll pick up at verse 15. When the group of prophets at Jericho saw Elisha, they said, Elijah's spirit is now on Elisha. They came and met Elisha. They bowed very low to the ground before him. Verse 16, they said, look, we have 50 good men. Please let them go and look for your master. Maybe the Lord's spirit has taken Elijah up and dropped him on some mountain or in some valley. But Elisha answered, no, don't send the men to look for Elijah. Verse 17, the group of prophets begged Elijah until he was embarrassed. Then Elijah said, send the men to look for Elijah. The group of prophets sent the 50 men to look for Elijah. They looked three days, but they could not find him. Verse 18, so the men went to Jericho where Elisha was staying and told him. And Elisha said to them, I told you not to go. I mean, at least that's how it went out in my mind. I don't know if that's actually how he said it. But here's the thing. So here are all the old prophets. All they wanted to do was go find Elijah, but he wasn't there because God was doing something new. He was doing something new in Elijah, but they were so stuck in the old ways that they were getting left behind with what God was doing. Elijah's perspective changed for the rest of his life because he chose to live that way. There's the story in 2 Kings 6, 8-22, where Elisha can see the armies of heaven. I mean, how amazing would that be, being able to see the armies of heaven? And when everyone else is terrified because they are surrounded, Elijah's at peace and basically says, don't be afraid, there are far more on our side than theirs, and opens up their eyes, and they all see the heavenly armies. I hope you hear me when I say this. God is wanting to do exceedingly and abundantly more in your life than you can imagine. You just need to awaken to the fact that you need to burn your boats, your ox, and your plows, and then run towards that extra mile blessing that he has for you and your family.